Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Springwell. Hope you're doing good this morning. Hope that you've had a great week and you're looking forward to the next week. Uh, We're glad that you're here. We've got a great service that we're really excited about. Right now, why don't you go ahead and stand, greet somebody around, just say good morning, and then we're going to sing together. This is a new song called Something Good. Let me see your hands together like this. Oh 
Good morning and welcome to Springwell Church. We're glad that you're here today. If you're a guest with us today, uh, this next part of the service isn't really for you at all. It's the time of giving. Uh, we want you to know that no one invited you to be with us this morning so that you could give to this church. We're just glad that you're here. Uh, but if you do call Springwell your home, it is a moment for you to uh, continue to worship this morning by giving to the ministry of this church. And This morning, I'm excited to let you know about uh, an opportunity that we have to give uh, to a family in Guatemala. As a lot of you know, we go every summer to Guatemala to take care of the people there and to love on the folks who live in the remote villages there. And uh, we met a family uh, last year that I want to talk to you about today. It's the family of Erica and Miguel. And uh, you're going to see their picture on the screen, their family. That's Erica right there. You can see that at the time. Uh, she was expecting a baby. Uh, the baby is here. That's her other four children. So now she has five children. Uh, you're looking at the outside of their home in Guatemala. And uh, their home is uh, basically uh, made with straw and a few bricks, as you see right there, and mud. But here's the problem with their home. Uh, it's starting to erode, uh, which basically means that at this point, uh, the house is literally falling apart. It's not held together anymore, as you can see right there. And then the next picture, uh, you can definitely see the home starting to, to erode right there. And so uh, what can we do to make a difference? We can build a house for that family. Here's the thing that I want you to understand. I know a lot of times we see folks on TV asking for money or we hear about needs. Uh, the thing that separates this is this is a family that we know of and we know that they're in need in Guatemala. We know them personally because we're there every year interacting with these folks. It costs $14,500 to build this house. That's a pretty cheap house compared to what we spend here. That includes all of the furnishings there as well. So this Easter, we have a chance to, uh, to impact this family by giving to this offering so that this summer we can build that house. Again, it's $14,500, and there are several ways that you can give above your regular offering to our Easter offering. Uh, you can give online at springwell.org slash give. You can also text the word Easter and the uh, to the number that's going to be on the screen. Also text any amount that you want to give. You'll see that number in just a few minutes. Or you can give on the kiosk in the lobby. There's uh, just a selection there that says Easter. Just touch that. Or uh, you can give in this Easter offering envelope that hopefully you found when you came in. If not, you are sitting on it right now. Uh, so uh, make sure you put your gift in this, uh, in this envelope throughout the month. We'll stop collecting on Easter Sunday, so you have several weeks to get that together for us. Now, of course, uh, it is Easter season, which means at church, life is pretty busy around here. So there's lots of things that are coming up. I'm going to tell you more about those at the end of the service. You're not going to want to leave. You're going to want to stay for that uh, because there is so much going on. Uh, but with Easter means lots of folks who never come to church are going to be in this building in just a few weeks. And so we need you to continue to give to the ministry of Springwell Church. And you can also do that online at springwell.org slash give. You can do that on the kiosk by texting any amount to the number that'll be on the screen in just a second, or you can just give in the bucket. So if you're on the left of the row, if you'll just grab that black bucket up under your seat, pass it to the right, someone's gonna get it on the other side.
All right, you guys give it up for our Springwell kids. They have a special song for you this morning. They've got some awesome dance moves, don't we? And we're going to show mom and dad all of our dance moves. So here we go. Get ready. Get those cameras ready. This is called I Can't Contain It. All right. Come on, clap your hands. One, two, three. I can't contain it. Good, so good.
Good morning. Come on, let's give those cheering a big hand. Man, they were awesome, weren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we have a, uh, a wonderful problem in the children's ministry is that we're growing. We're just grow, 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 growing. And, and so actually we, we need to open up another 4K and two new 5K rooms. I see some of you, you're little, because you know what's coming. <laughs> you were going to clap real big until you say he's going to do the big ask. I'm going to do the big tail. No, I'm just kidding. Um, we would love to have you uh, volunteer in children's ministry, and, and especially for those three classes that we'll be opening up. Those are brand new, but also just in children's ministry in general, uh, because there's a lot of, you don't even have to like kids working in children's ministry. That sounds just weird, doesn't it? But like if you're a tech person, you know, there's, there's tons of, of, of um, opportunities for you to be able to do what you do and to be able to do it with children. Even if, you know, you would be like me and if they put me in a room full of kids, I would freeze. You know, I wouldn't know what to do. It scared me to death. I was really good with my kids. I'm just scared of your kids. And so maybe you're that way. And so maybe you're that way, but there's a lot of different uh, areas that you can volunteer. So Katie's going to be at the information desk when the service is over with. And I know you want to talk to her and say, look, I want to get a part of, you know, this incredible thing that's going on in children's ministry. Uh, children's ministry, it's not, it's not a time, it's not a playtime. I hope you understand that. It's all about teaching kids. I can just imagine if we can raise them up when they're small, you know, and teach them what it really means to fall head over heels in love with Jesus. And not to be religious, but to have a walk with him. Uh, can you imagine what that would be like? And so I know you want to be a part of that. So sign up, okay? But that was pitiful. So we're, uh, we're in a series and we're looking at some of the things that Jesus said. And some of the th things that Jesus said will make you stop and go, I can't believe he said that. I mean, we looked at one of those statements last week. And some of the things that you hear, actually Jesus didn't say. And that's the weird thing. Is that you'll hear people, maybe you've grown up in church and you've thought that Jesus said certain things. And really, that's not what he said. And those things that people say that he said are things that have been misrepresented. Uh, at least misunderstood. Who are we kidding? They've been misinterpreted altogether. So I want to deal with one of those, those statements today. And it's a really, really famous statement. So if like, you've been in church at all, you know Matthew 28, right? You're already thinking, okay, Matthew 28, we're going to talk about the Great Commission. This is going to be so easy. Everybody, if you've been in church at all, you know, if you've grown up in church, you know the Great Commission. These are the words of Jesus. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. You, you go and you make disciples. You make them. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And so I was taught, literally, no kidding, I was taught, you know, growing up in church, that really what this meant was, therefore, go and impose my teachings and my values on all nations. And here's what you do. You make them and you threaten them. 
And you look at them and say, you're going straight to hell if you don't get this right. That scared some of you, didn't it? And that's, that's really, that's what I was taught. That's what, that's what I was taught that this, this, this said. And the thing that, that's, you know, especially if I've been doing this as long as I have, the thing I've come to understand, you can't make followers of Jesus do what Jesus says do. So how in the world are we going to go and make non-followers of Jesus do what Jesus said do? Well, I know how, because you threaten them. That's all we got as a church. You just got to threaten them. You got you to hold their feet over the fires of hell and say, it's hot. And if you don't do what Jesus says, you're going to go there. And we're going to pray you do. But threats don't work, do they? What's interesting to me, I love this study that I did on this passage. Because what's interesting is those two words, make disciples, actually is just one Greek word. It's not two Greek words, it's one Greek word. And the Greek word, and if you're brand new to church, uh, you know, Koine Greek, common Greek is the original language of the New Testament. And so you've got to kind of break it down sometimes, go back to the original language. And in the original language, these two words are one Greek word that means to cause someone to become a follower, to call someone to become a disciple of Jesus. In other words, Jesus said this, I want you to go and I want you to create a thirst in people. I want you to create a thirst in people so that they will want to be one of my followers. That's what Jesus was saying. So it's all about creating a thirst, causing people to want, to have a desire to look forward to with great anticipation of what it would be to actually give your life to Jesus and to follow him. So how do you create that thirst? How do you create a thirst? How did they cause people to want to leave everything behind because these people left everything to follow Jesus? Some of them walked away from their family. They were completely denounced from their family but that were, that were rooted up in Judaism. And so they, they left all of that. They, they literally mourned their, that these people that became followers of Jesus as though they were dead. Are you following me? They left everything behind. They left their families behind to follow this guy named Jesus. So, so how did they do that? Like what was the secret sauce in their teaching that would compel people to want to follow Jesus? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's in John chapter 13. These are the words of Jesus. These are the words of Jesus. Here's what he said. He said, a new command I give you. You ready? Love one another. There you go. Let's just wrap this puppy up. Go to the house. What do you say? Love one another, right? But it's not just love one another. It's love one another. How? As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. They'll know that if you're a pupil, a student of mine, they'll know if you're following me because of the love that you're going to have for each other. It's not the threat of hell. It's the lure of love. Hmm. And so after Jesus left the earth, and his closest followers began doing what Jesus taught them to do, not just teaching, not just teaching what he ta taught them to teach. That was the secret sauce. That was the thing that made the difference. And so they began to live their lives in such a way that people, people would say, this, this is crazy. You, you people are living radically different than anything we've ever seen before. We've seen religion, and we know what religion can do, and we've seen religion weigh people down and all the rules and the regulations and nobody can really do it. And so most people are faking it. But you guys, 
you, you guys are radically different than anything we've ever seen before. Please tell me, tell me what, tell me what you've given your life to. And it worked. It worked. And I got to be honest, I've thought about this a lot over the years, you know, especially with today's technology. Are you with me? You would think that, you know, God knowing all things, that he would have waited a couple of thousand years, you know? I mean, it would have been a whole lot easier if God had waited today to send his son. Like, we could have posted it on social media. He could have had his own Instagram account. I mean, you know what I mean? I mean, like, whoo, Jesus. And we could have put him out there. He, he would have been on, you know, national TV. He would have been on the Internet. But that's, that was not it. God chose, and he said, here's the way that the church is going to grow. It's going to be how you love each other. And then you'll point to people, how is it possible that you love each other the way you do? Well, it's the only way that we can love each other is to overflow with the love that Jesus has for us. And it just worked. And for the first 300 years of the church, the church grew and it grew and it grew and it grew and it grew. If you start with the book of Acts, it started with 120. That quickly turned into 3,000. Conservative, conservative theologians believe that by the time you get to the end of the book of Acts, that this first church was maybe somewhere in the neighborhood of 50, 75,000 strong. That's crazy. How can you do that with nothing? No media, no technology, no nothing, just word of mouth. Other theologians believe that in an area where the population was said to be maybe 200,000, there are theologians that believe that maybe that first church was somewhere between 125 and 150,000 strong. It's crazy. And it happened not because of great technology. It happened because of great love. Not what they taught, how they lived. It just worked. And after about 300 years, Rome opened itself up to Christianity and adopted Christianity as, as, as the official Religion. And then things went south. Because now the church had the power. And we don't understand that. I hear Christians all the time today, we need, we need a Christian president. We need to make sure that he holds our Christian values. The only thing going to save this country today is if the House of Representatives are all Christians. If, that, if, if the, those in the Senate, those that hold seats in the Senate, if they're all Christians, and so we, we push for power. Power's never worked. You would think that power would be a good thing, but it wasn't a good thing. And it wasn't a good thing because anytime the church leverages anything other than love, we lose. And I would certainly say that, at least in my lifetime, the church is lost. And what we've lost is our influence. We've lost our ability to pour into people's lives because people look at us as a joke because how we live our lives, what we say on Sunday, and how we live our lives is so radically different. People just don't want to connect with us. We're known more for what we stand against than for the love that we have for each other. Let me just go on record because somebody's going to say, oh, it's just all about love and we don't stand up for anything. It's not what I said. Absolutely, we stand up for truth. But we stand up for truth in a loving way. Are you with me? There's times when if you love people 
effectively, if you will love them unconditionally, you will earn the right to be able to speak into their lives. They will ask you, what, what is there about you that makes you different? And I want what you got. So it doesn't mean that we can't take a stand. It just means that we love others the way that Jesus loves us. But therein lies the problem. It's the understanding of love. And as a church, do we really, as a church, do we know how to love? As followers of Jesus, do we know what it looks like in everyday life? It, it's so easy to talk about. It's so easy to say. I think it's difficult to understand. So I want to take you to a place in the New Testament. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It's going to be a sweet passage. Because Jesus said, I want you to love each other. And the thing of it is, we don't know what that looks like. And so there's two things that we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at how do we love people inside the church. It was funny because I'm not just talking about the four walls of the church. I'm talking about the body of Christ. Are you with me? How do we, how do we effectively, how do we love each other? What does is, what is real love look like among brothers and sisters in Christ? And then, and then we're going to look at how to love people that are outside the church, that are not a part of the faith, that, that are maybe on the outside looking in, kind of checking us out. How do we, how do we love First, let me give you a little background on the city of Corinth because it's really important that you understand the context. Um, I've been doing this a long time, and, and still after, you know, 30-plus years of, of doing research and going back, as I always want to think, is there anything new being said? And if you go back and if you look at the context, if you look at the city of Corinth, everybody still says the same thing. Maybe they're just copying each other. I don't know. But they all say that, that really the city of Corinth was just a modern-day Las Vegas. And we all know what goes on in Vegas. You're doggone right. You ain't telling nobody squat that you did in Vegas, right? Because we know it's bad. And that was the reputation that this particular city had. So he goes there in this pagan, perverted, sinful city. And he shares the love of Jesus, and, and he starts this little Jesus community. And so he starts to teach them the ways of Jesus, because they're surrounded by a culture that has no clue to what it really means to live and love like Jesus. They didn't know. So you've never had an example like this. You've never seen it. You didn't see it in your family. And so he begins to try to, to, try to teach them. And so I wrote this, and I, I, get, I get tickled at myself, you know. I laugh a lot at me. So here's what I wrote. I'm trying to protect things. So here's what I wrote. I said, so he would write them letters of instruction. <laughs> Listen, he was taking names and kicking rear end. It just sounds, instructions just sounds like a better word. Are you with me? And then I said encouragement because I need to do something about the instruction part. I thought it was funny. Y'all don't really see any humor in that at all. <laughs> and so he would write them these letters of instructions because they would mess up. And so they were getting things wrong. And, and they, they didn't know how to love. They didn't know how to love each other. They didn't know how to love people outside the faith. And so he said, I've got to write you this letter of instruction and encouragement so that you'll understand how to love like Jesus loved. So, got this little church, and he gets news that some really nasty stuff's going on in the church of Corinth. So here's how the story begins. And let me just say, it's gonna, this is going to wake some of y'all up. You're going to think, it's not in the Bible. Actually, it is. And God wrote it. Here's what it says. 
1 Corinthians 5 verse 1, it's actually reported that there's some sexual immorality among you. And you're thinking, well, there you go. I mean, it's like Las Vegas, right? Have you been to Las Vegas? I mean, you can't anywhere on the strip. I mean, there are cards. There, it's nasty. It's perverted. It's everywhere you look. So when you think about that, you go, bunch of heathens. But here's what he says. It's actually reported there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even the pagans don't tolerate. So here's the thing that's weird. He's not talking about the city of Corinth. He's talking about the church. So he's not saying, oh, I know that you live in a culture and there's all this sexual immorality and here's how I want you to learn to live, rise above it. No, he's saying, this is what's going on inside the church. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. There is a debate among theologians as to whether or not this is his actual mom or his stepmom. I guess it makes you feel better if it's his stepmom. I don't know. I wasn't there. I have no earthly idea. But here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, listen, nobody does that. Even the people that live in this very pagan, Las Vegas-style kind of city, even these people don't do anything as outlandish as that. I mean, I don't care who you are. That's just weird. And here's the other thing that you need to know, because we think about church, sometimes we think about our own context. And especially if you've read the book of Acts, and you know it went from 120 to 3,000, right? There could have been anywhere by the time you get to the end of Acts, maybe 100 plus thousand people. So you think in the context of, of a church where you can really just walk in, sit on the back row, nobody know you. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, Springwell's not a mega church, but it is a church that honestly, you can, you can just walk in every Sunday, you know, you can wait till the lights are down. You can sneak in. We'll point out, maybe we need to start taking the flashlights going, there they are. You know, I'm just kidding. But you can come into a church, even of our size, and honestly, you could come here for months, maybe even years, and nobody really know who you are. That's not this church. They say that this church was probably somewhere in the neighborhood of maybe about 50 people. Whoa, that changes everything, doesn't it? So here's the thing. So when you walk into a church that's got like 50 people in it, everybody knows everybody else's business. Hello? They must have been Baptist. Everybody, I can't believe I said that. Everybody knew everybody else's business. There was, there was nowhere to run and hide. So when you walked in, everybody knew what was going on. But here's the thing. Nobody, and this is really super important, nobody, because you're going to get so caught up in the sin that you're going to forget the point that Paul's making. He says, here's the thing. Nobody's dealing with this. Nobody's talking to the guy about it. I don't know what they were doing. Were they just looking the other way? I mean, were they just faking it? Fake it till you make it. I mean, I don't really know. Maybe they say, okay, love. Love is, so what is love? And we get really confused about that. So here's what Paul says. Again, verse 2, he says, are, are you so proud? Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and, and have put out of your fellowship the man who's been doing this? He says, for my part, even though I'm not with you physically, I'm not physically present, I'm with you in spirit. And one who is like, you know, spiritually, I'm there with you in that way. I want you... 
I have already passed judgment. Oh, my gosh. Judgment. I've already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. And some of you would love to raise your hands right now and say, whoa, 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 hang on. You'd want to look at Paul and say, have you, have you read the Bible? And Paul would say, well, in fact, I'm writing the Bible. It's a preacher joke. I guess you kind of missed that one too. Um, I, I'm like, I'm going to write like 13 letters of this thing that you're going to call the New Testament. Absolutely. Okay, you're writing, but did you listen? Did you hear the words of Jesus? Because Jesus said, don't judge. And so Paul just sounds like he's out of line. And you, you know, maybe you're thinking, well, this is like chapter 5. He hadn't got to chapter 13. That's the love chapter in case you're brand new to church. So this is before, you know, he just didn't know any better. Could this possibly, I mean, this sounds so harsh and not Christian. Well, if you think that's bad, listen to what he said next. It just gets worse. So when you're assembled, and I'm with you in spirit, the power of the Lord Jesus is present. Hand this, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of our Lord Jesus. You're thinking, give me some Greek stuff. I mean, <laughs> uh, that, what? Well, this is a legal phrase. It's like a parole officer. So he says, I want you to make Satan this guy's parole officer. So here's what he's saying. Look, I want you to go to this guy. I want you to have a conversation. That's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to go to this guy and say this. Listen, man, we love you. We care about you. And the thing of it is, everybody knows what's going on. We know what's going on. Word is out. And so we just want to confront you and say, listen, man, you, you, you need to repent. You, this is wrong. This is just kind of some sick behavior. And, and so you just need to repent and get this thing right. But here's the thing. We can't make you do anything. We can't make you. You, you're your own man. You're going to do what you're going to do. But here's the thing. You can do what you want to do, but you've got to understand you can't do it here. You just, you just can't do it. You can't do it here. So the Apostle Paul knew what a lot of us have learned the hard way, and that sin always has a consequence. And sometimes the shortest route back home, if you're the prodigal son, is to feel the full consequence of your sin. So the Apostle Paul is saying, look, man, love him enough to let him feel the consequences of his sin. If he feel the consequences, of you, you're trying to protect him. You're thinking that love, that's what love does. Love doesn't speak into somebody's life. Love isn't judgmental. Yes, it is judgmental. To those inside the faith. And that we love each other and say, listen, if this is, a, if this is what you're choosing to do, if you're not going to be repentant, then just go experience your sin, the full consequences of your sin. And then this guy will come running back and say, oh, my gosh, what have I done? And then you as the church will say, I told you. No, that's not, what, that's not, that's not it. It's not there. I just want to see if you're paying attention. Some of you went, no. That, that you will be there to, to say, you know what? We love you. We've always loved you. Welcome home. We're glad you're back. And then he shifts gears. And it's just going to be weird. Again, if you were raised in church, because you're going to go, see, I was, I was, they taught me we can't judge. We're not, to, we're not to judge each other. Paul, but Paul said that 
we're supposed to judge each other inside the church. Then, then he says this. He says, I wrote to you my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Yep, absolutely. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you just have to leave the world. And so he's saying, and I was, this is not what I was taught in church. I was not taught in church. I was taught in church, you've got to divorce yourself from the world relationally. And so if you've got a neighbor, I mean, you've got to move out of the neighborhood. You know what I'm talking about? They're not followers of Jesus. They're doing crazy stuff next door. And you've got to say, I'm not, I can't believe Man, you have the nerve, you know? And so and you gotta, if you're working with a bunch of pagan peoples, you've got to find another job. And I was taught that what we do as Christians is that we become judgmental of the world and we hold them to a standard that even we struggle with. Paul said, if you did that, you'd just have to completely get out of the world. I'm not telling you to disengage from people who have habits or behavior or morality that you don't agree with. That's how you treat people inside. That's not how you treat people outside. Are y'all following this? Because this will mess you up. Then he says this, But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or a slander or drunkard or swindle. Don't even eat with such people. And you know what? If you're me... And I like to exegete, just walk you through Scripture. When you get to this, I go, well, we've already talked about that. <laughs> so like, why you want to talk about it again? And then it occurred to me, is that he wants to make sure that they don't misunderstand. He said, I just want to make sure you got this right. You're supposed to judge people on the inside. And you should be held, holding them accountable for their actions. And then he asked this question. What business is it of mine to judge? And he's using that word judge. What business is it of mine to judge people outside the church? And the answer is, it ain't none of my business. And if you're here and you're not a church person and you're not a follower of Jesus, you're wanting to say, you're dang right, Skippy. It ain't none of your business what I do. And you know what? You'd be right. See, in the first century, they didn't expect non-Jesus followers to behave like Jesus followers. So they weren't shocked when they watched the 6 o'clock news. They weren't going, <gasps> they weren't. They, they weren't shocked. In fact, you know what they would do? They would say, man, I know what that's like because I've lived that life. I, I've, I've been there. I've done that. I, I know what it's like when, when you don't have Jesus as a part of your life. But here's the thing. So I, we don't expect non-Jesus people to live like Jesus people. But here's the thing. We do expect Jesus people to start to reflect Jesus. Then he says this. Are you not to judge those on the inside? God will judge those on the outside. So let's talk about that word judge. You want to? Are you excited? You pumped up? Ready to go? You know what the word judge means in the Greek? It means to judge. I got nothing for you. I can't pretty it up. I mean, I can't like slide something. I got nothing. I mean, it, the Bible says that we're to judge. And you're thinking, I like it better when I thought the Bible said don't judge. Let me just say this. If you're a parent, then you understand what it means to be a judge. Hopefully in your household you have some rules. If you don't have any rules in your household, you're in a mess. I mean, you just are in a mess. So hopefully in your household you have some rules, and when somebody disobeys the rules, the judge shows up. 
That's what Karen and I raised our kids. We said, this is not a democracy. You forget that junk. This is a dictatorship. We're the dictators. Hello? That's not your room. That's my room. And I'm letting you stay in there. You didn't buy, you didn't buy a nail for that room. You know what I'm saying? Not, a, not any paint. You have nothing invested. This is mine. And here's the thing. Lovingly, as when you have, because that sounds harsh, is that we would say, here's, here's what we expect when you live under our roof. There are rules. And you have to follow these rules. And it's not just crazy rules. It's how to love each other, how to treat each other. There have been times when I've said, you can't talk to my wife that way. Because that's not how we treat each other here. There are rules. So we have rules in our house. We had rules in our house. But it's not my responsibility to judge your kids. They're not my kids. They're your kids. So if I walked into your house and, like, your kids weren't doing their homework, it's not my business to walk up to them and say, you better get up them steps and get that homework done. It's not, it's not my business. To do that. They're your children. You have rules in your house, right? Now, my kids, that's when, you know, Karen and I tried to the best of our ability to no avail in some cases to get them to do homework. They were too much like their dad, I'm afraid. But I'm not going to walk into your house and judge your kids. And that's what Paul's saying. That's what he's saying. You don't judge people outside. They're not a part of the family. That's not your responsibility to judge. God will judge those people. You let God take care of those people. But it is our responsibility with the heart of love, not with a self-righteous attitude, I'm better than you kind of attitude, but with a heart of love. It is our responsibility to look at each other and say, you know what, here's the thing. I've struggled there too. I found some victory I can help you. We'll walk together because I've got some blind spots in my life. And so if you walk along beside me and I'll walk along beside you in a loving, sweet way to point out those areas, then we'll all be better. Does that make sense? So the bottom line is that we're to love one another enough to have the hard conversations. And I've been doing this a long time, and I'm just going to be honest with you, we don't like having the hard conversations. But we have to love each other and the family enough to, to have hard conversations, and we've got to stop judging outsiders. We've got to love each other enough to walk along beside somebody and say, man, I've walked your road. I can tell you where that's going to lead. I want to walk with you. Part of love is drawing things to your attention. So our responsibility is to love one another and to stop judging outsiders. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus. And let's just be honest, maybe the reason you're not a follower of Jesus is because you've just spent too much time with judgmental Christians. Maybe, maybe that's your deal. And so maybe you work with that guy. You know what? All he wants to do is bring up your junk. Or maybe you've you got that neighbor, that self-righteous neighbor, you know? who like every opportunity peeks over the fence and wants to speak and to say, I'll tell you what, brother, you know, and they look, and maybe you've been pushed away from Jesus. And if that's been your experience, I just want to say I'm sorry. I just want to apologize for the church and to say that's not what we're supposed to be. It's none of my business. 
But I can tell you this. I can tell you that Jesus is crazy about you. I can tell you that. I can tell you that he loves you. Oh my gosh. With the kind of love that you can't possibly comprehend. And whatever it is that you're struggling with, whatever sin issues that you're struggling with, that's when Jesus steps into your life, not out of your life. He loves you. And these aren't just cheap words. He proved it. Jesus said, you got a sin problem and you can't do anything about your sin, so here's the thing. I'm, I'm going to deal with the sin problem for you, and that's what he did. He went to the cross, and on the cross, what he did was he shed his blood to pay the penalty for our sin. We're guilty. He's not. That's the depth of his love. And he said, look, you can't get better, be better. You can't. So just accept what I did for you. And believe that I did more than just die on the cross, but on the third day I was raised from the dead. I'm alive, and I want to step into your life and bring life, breathe life. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, and you'd like to be, because this morning what you're being drawn by is the incredible love of God. So every head is bowed, every eyes closed, no one's looking around. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, and like to be then maybe you'd pray a prayer or something like this maybe you just wow God I had no idea I mean you weren't haven't been really well represented by some of your people but this morning I've, I've come to understand the depth of your love and like I've never really understood before be a part of that I, I, want, I need you in my life so I'm asking that you forgive me of my sin and to the best of my ability I'm surrendering my life to you I, I want to follow you for the rest of my life and I want to learn how to love like you love look this way so maybe you're here this morning and you would say that you are a follower of Jesus but let me ask you something so have you been guilty of pushing people away or drawing people to have you maybe just really misunderstood the whole thing of love and what that means and that maybe what you've been doing is like you know people that you're in relationship with that maybe you should have been speaking into their life you just haven't you didn't want to be judgmental but the guy that you work with your neighbor the people you go to school with whatever that interaction you've been judgmental and maybe maybe if you just be honest you would say man I got that whole thing wrong listen it's crucial that we get it right it wasn't what they taught it was how they lived that put legitimacy to what they taught the light of the world and light shines in darkness and it draws people to the incredible and wonderful love of Jesus let's stay in
together.